0: Bye.
1: August eighteenth, two 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic DiZutti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the news breaking on Friday morning that White House Chief Strategist Steve Bannon is out. Ed Seiler from the Denver Business Journal. Uh, i got to say, this is one of the most entertaining reality shows I've ever watched. You have drama. You have people leaving the island. It has everything you really want out of a reality TV show. When you hear about this headline, Steve Bannon out, were you surprised?
2: Not really. It follows in the path of what John Kelly did shortly after becoming chief of staff uh, to oust Anthony Scaramucci. I mean, Kelly's a more low profile type of person. He has now gotten rid of two people who really wanted to seek this, the limelight, in fact, wanted to seek the limelight over their boss, the president, in many ways. The trick with Kelly is that he's got a boss who really wants to seek the limelight, and it will be interesting to see if without Bannon, without Scaramucci, without some of these guys, he can rein in Trump at all, or if that's going to be a task too big for him.
1: David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. So... We, we, we're about to talk about everything that went down about Charlottesville. Do you think this final ousting comes from a product of that? Was that the, the final straw, or was this a long time coming and just happened to be this part of the calendar?
3: I, I think a long time coming because he's I probably accurately suspected as, as being a, a major leaker and obviously uh, beyond dispute a cause of. Some of the dysfunction at, at Department of Defense and Department of State and of him trying to micromanage that, uh, and that 's why we don 't have the assistant Secretaries in, in place at those departments currently years ago, Independence Institute had Andrew Breitbart uh, out as a speaker, the founder of of course the Breitbart.com website and he was a, a little more intense than than my taste uh, but it, but a really sincere uh, and, and i think good person and then after he died unexpectedly and the site was bought by Bannon, uh, what, what the Breitbart website has become is just disgusting and, and horrible and, and an atrocity uh, to the memory of, of its founder. So uh, Bannon, of course, being the perpetrator of that.
1: Craig Silverman, attorney with Silverman Olivas and uh, talk show host on KUS every Saturday morning. Uh, Craig, uh, you've been a, a, a long time on with the media as
4: a Trump supporter. You hear Steve Bannon is out. Happy? Sad? Indifferent? What's your reaction? It's expected. First of all, Donald Trump said Steve Bannon had nothing to do with his Charlottesville reaction. It appears that this firing was in the works for a couple of weeks, and when he called him, uh, you know, Mr. Bannon the other day, that you knew that he was probably going to be gone. Like the guy was a racial provocateur in a way. Uh, I'm not sure he's a racist, but he did clash with Javanka. By that, I mean Jared and Ivanka. And whereas a lot of people come and go from the West Wing, those two are still there, Jared and Ivanka, and they're saying bye-bye, Mr. Bannon.
1: Mary McCarthy, uh, Denver Bureau Chief with Feature Story News. Uh, so what do you think? Is are, are, Should we just get used to seeing people coming out of the administration every few weeks, or does this stop the bleeding because this was a, such a high-level ouster?
0: I think that there's still a lot of questions as much as it was expected that there was um, obviously uh, there's uh, lots of power play going on between Kushner and and the various other people at at, at the head alongside Trump in the White House Why did Steve Bannon leak this interview to the American Prospect? Not really leak, he spoke to this journalist, um, you know, said lots of uh, provocative things, turning against the far right, who he himself had sympathized with, um, stoked a lot of their uh, enthusiasm up until recently, and then um, claimed that he didn't know that he was speaking uh, to a journalist who was going to report that the most media-savvy person in America, Steve Bannon, or one of the most media-savvy people. So there's a lot of questions. Will he be working behind the scenes with Donald Trump? Is this some other sort of strategy? I think that we really don't know. Um, And did Bannon orchestrate this own ouster of himself? I think that's um, one of the questions we need to be asking.
1: The violent demonstrations of neo-Nazis and white supremacists in Charlottesville, Virginia last week has sparked outrage and reopened debates about the current state of race relations in the United States. Senator Cory Gardner was among the first Republicans to criticize President Donald Trump, his initial comments, and how the president has doubled down on those remarks since then. Ed, uh, Charlottesville has, well, it's become its own verb now, or it's become, you can just say that, everyone knows what you mean, just say Charlottesville. From everything that we've seen from it, not only the president's reactions, but everybody else's reactions, both, both sides of the aisle, what do you take away from everything we've seen so far?
2: That's, that's a, a huge enveloping question there. I think what you take away is a, a lot of things that have been said that shouldn't, things that haven't been said that should. I mean, let's face it, when, when someone uh, like Doug Lamborn comes out and criticizes Donald Trump for being racially insensitive in his uh, his comments, you know you've blown it. Um, look, let's, let's put this out here first. There are a couple things that, that, that should be said that, uh, you know, while there were mostly very peaceful counter-protesters, that group did include violent thugs like Antifa. So there were some of those elements out there. Also, I I think there should be pushback, and Trump's not even trying to do this, against the emerging storyline that this shows America is just a racial war morass right now. This was still a gathering of 250 people that had been advertised nationally. So not exactly the women's march in terms of getting the national national sentiment stoked here. This is still... A small fringe anachronistic group of lunatics that we're talking about. Um, that said, Trump hasn't said that. And he should. Um, That's where he's really fallen down in this. He's had the opportunity to criticize people who are beyond any question, troublemakers here. And let's remember some of the important facts that he's not making in his statements about both sides were at issue here. Uh, First of all, it's not like the violence broke out because these were a group of people walking down, talking in historical perspectives about why Confederate memorials should be out in in public squares. These are people who began the march by spewing racist racist and anti semitic Semitic barbs. That's something Trump has failed to acknowledge. Uh, also, while we should actually be putting some more criticism toward the Charlottesville Police Department for failing to step in in any way to uh, to bring this down, uh, the actual violent act that has focused our nation on this was perpetrated by a 20-year-old Hitler fanatic. He should be saying that as well. I mean, there is plenty to criticize here. He's not doing it. And, and frankly, what I'm left with uh, in the aftermath of this is there will be time to talk in the greater picture about how America's political conversation has gotten out of control and must be brought back down to a more civil discourse. However, the need to blame these people for causing this is there right now, and he's failed to do it. David, this seemed to me
1: like a good week for Cory Gardner. While a tough week with this town hall, which we will get to as a topic, uh, seeing his name as one of the very first Republicans criticizing uh, Donald Trump's comments on CNN, seemed like he was able to get out there in front of it and actually make some hay, even before Ted Cruz said what he did. Um, will that last as a way for Cory Gardner to distance himself from the president if he w- still wishes to do so?
3: Well, he's, he's been distant from the president for a long time. He was one of the, the last uh, U.S. Senator, Republican U.S. Senators to, to endorse Trump, um, so good for him. For over a century, there has been a political faction in this country. Um, it, it got to a, a peak of its power in the 30s, uh, but is having uh, some, something of a comeback these days of, of fascism. And it's, its characteristics are hatred for the Constitution, anti-Americanism, an, anti-patriotism, uh, racial privilege, uh, anti-Semitism, including the uh, desire for the extermination uh, of the state of Israel. This faction uh, is ultimately uh, is, is empowered by not only this current president, but, but other politicians as well over time. It is run by the father of lies, the great deceiver, and accordingly, to confuse even its own vile adherence, there are two factions of it. One is the brown fascists, the types like the Ku Klux Klan, the neo Nazis, and so on, and the other type is the red fascists, the communists, the so called anti FA. That's anti fascist. That's like John Caldera naming himself anti bald. <laughs> <laughs> they, they are left wing red totalitarian fascists, and both sides have perpetrated violence, like the two journalists uh, at Charlottesville who got beat up by the peaceful, anti-Fa thugs. Um, this country is moving in the direction of the Weimar Republic in the 1920s of clashes between the, the two ostensibly different wings of the fascist party. And people on all sides need to stop empowering them. And that includes not only the, the Republicans, except for President Trump, have done a good job of calling out some of them. The Democrats need to do a better job of calling out the fascists who were ostensibly on their side.
1: Craig, I thought you had some great comments on Next with Kyle Clark about this whole issue. He talked to you about this. When you look at the whole week and the reactions and the doubling down, where are you at from what you've seen?
4: Well, first of all, I don't know that I'm the biggest booster of Donald Trump, but I did vote for him over Hillary Clinton, and I don't really envision Hillary Clinton doing a great job in the wake of Charlottesville either. But, my gosh, President Trump was so disappointing And it was stupid what he did. He had a golden opportunity. He could have said the right things to bring the country together. When you get a chance to condemn the Nazis and the KKK, take it for God's sake. (laughs) And he didn't do it. It's like watching a guy with a two-foot putt. He putts. He doesn't even hit the hole. Then he took a mulligan, which apparently he does a lot in golf. And on Monday, he got it in the hole. But he, inexplicably, went after it again on Tuesday, And he missed the hole again. What's wrong with this guy? You know, to say the good people were at that torchlight parade with those anti-Semitic chants, any good person would have looked at those Nazi flags, KKK emblems and said, I don't want to be part of this. So what were you talking about, Mr. President? And uh, Heather Heyer, she was the victim. He should have embraced that. There was Antifa. There were other organized violent people. But Heather Heyer wasn't a part of that. It was a Hitler-loving 20-year-old scumbag who did it. What an opportunity President Trump had. And those opportunities don't come around so often. It was just stupid for him to miss it.
1: Mary, we've seen a lot of issues come out of this, not just of Donald Trump's comments, but now getting into Confederate statue removal, and whether and the different states talking about that, and you know, even uh, statue controversy is not something uh, new for Colorado. When you see between the comments, Confederate statues, everything in between, what do you take away from what we've seen this week?
0: Well, in, in Colorado, the discussion that Black Lives Matter, uh, what some people call a hate group, others call an activist group, they got going a great conversation about whether the name of Stapleton should be changed, given that Mayor. Stapleton was a a high-level member of the Ku Klux Klan. But um, this week, you know, a lot of people reached out to me because as a journalist and as a human being, um, I've been very outspoken with my views on Donald Trump. And frankly, um, anyone who voted for Donald Trump, I think does not have the right to criticize what he is saying now on Charlottesville because where were people who voted for him, whether it's media or citizens, when he was right here in Denver over in Lowry doing very similar things at his rally here in Lowry, just to give one example. He stoked the crowd to start booing and hissing at the Hispanic media. He spent a good portion of that rally reading a poem in which he described Syrian refugees as snakes. He has been dehumanizing many groups since long before he became president. So when people reached out to me this week and said, what do you think? What's your take? You've, you've, you've said that you think that this president dehumanizes many human beings for a long time. I said, I'm not paying much attention to it. This is who we got into office. I am not surprised. And um, it's, the world is saying this is a turning point. This is a real shame if the president is not outright denouncing neo-Nazi sympathizers, well, we had it coming. We, we, we elected him to office.
1: After months of criticism for not being available to, consti- available to constituents, Senator Cory Gardner held three in-person town halls this week. Held in Colorado Springs, Lakewood, and Greeley, Gardner addressed everything from his votes on health care to President Trump's handling of North Korea and his thoughts on the recent violence in Charlottesville. David, uh, even though uh, Cory Gardner got booed down at these different town hall events, you see some of the coverage. It looks like a pretty fierce uh, situation. It looked like a win for me because if he's saying, you know, I, maybe he avoided some town halls and saying, well, they're really not going to be productive conversations. He finally has them, and it's not a productive conversation because people just keep shouting him down. Uh, he can say, I've tried, and I proved my point. Uh, am I off here?
3: No, you're, you're exactly right. And Kyle, Kyle Clark from Channel Nine. Uh, has been, you know, talking a lot about how Gardner should do town halls, <clears throat> and as Clark said, after the uh, behavior of the the mob, sort of a, a, a softer version of that, uh, the larger fascist movement, um, he said he regretted having put all that pressure on Gardner to do it. Because the, the people who showed up at that, it, it, it's fine to, to come to, go to a town hall, you ask a question, you don't like the answer the person gives, and then, then you can a- boo or applaud or whatever, and then, then move on to the next question. But that wasn't the behavior of so many people there. It, it was the mob. It was people who don't want to hear. It's Rather than listening and agreeing or disagreeing, they just wanted to express their, their hatred and, and their anger. Um, they're, they're part of the problem.
1: Craig, uh, Gardner definitely took his licks at all the different town halls, but he also let his critics see what uh, what a mob looks like and see what the reaction is. So, you know, if, if people are questioning, should he do town halls again? He goes, well, you can, he can point that as a pretty good reason not to. Uh, do you think Gardner walked away with a success this week?
4: I do, but I'm a Cory Gardner fan. I think his politics are moderate along the lines of myself, and I think he takes grief from people of the far left and the far right. Being on talk radio, you can't believe the vitriol he gets from people on the right, that he's not far right enough, he's too establishment. Then people on the left are upset that he wants to repeal Obamacare. Well, Obamacare is collapsing. Look around. So, uh, I think it was a perfect illustration. He held three town halls. People were shouting over him, and he dealt with it. He kept talking, and he had good spirits. We already talked about how he was a leader calling out President Trump. And he got up in Yuma, Colorado at 7.30 in the morning, was on CNN, State of the Union, and he made me proud as a Colorado constituent. He's well-spoken, and he's not a flamethrower, and I'm proud uh, that he represents this great state. Mary,
1: uh, Senator Gardner took a lot of criticism for not doing any town halls until now. He does three in one day, seemed like a real big barnstorming tour. If they were pretty calm events, I could see people being pretty cynical about it. Well, yeah, he did town halls, he just did one day of it. But because of the reaction, I don't know if he's getting more points uh, in the future. What's your take on the long-term reaction to what we saw with those three town halls.
0: I think we need to be fair to the people who came out to the town halls. They're participating in democracy. They're angry. And, you know, Cory Gardner seemed seemed like he handled it well. Well, you know, that's great. That's his job. So more power to him, but also more power to the protesters. They're making their voices heard. They're frustrated that when they call, whether it's Gardner's office or the other elected officials, that they are not necessarily getting responses. And um, they're making their voices heard. We should be praising the fact that large crowds are coming out to participate in our democracy. It's a shame if sometimes that goes overboard, but these are heated times Cory Gardner is part of the system that has created the divisions that have led to things becoming so heated. So, um, you know, maybe it wouldn't have become so heated if he'd been holding more town halls more frequently. Things would have died down. And if he keep, continues doing the, these, I would very well predict that the tone will get much more civil and uh, maybe some productive discussions can actually happen, which is the point of all this after all, isn't it?
1: A productive political discussion. You are an optimist, Mary. I like that. (laughs) Uh, Ed, you have been covering politics in Colorado for a long time. Uh, I imagine these town halls may stoke a memory or two of other town halls that look like this, maybe, I don't know, about seven years ago or so. Um, Do you think we're going to see Politicians like Senator Cory Gardner put themselves out for these kinds of uh, ruckus in uh, uh, town halls, uh, I guess ruckus is disguised as town halls, or they use this reaction as an excuse to not do them anymore.
2: Well, no, I, I, I think one thing you can look at uh, first of all is uh, in reaction to the 2010 town halls. We're talking about, you know, Cory Gardner. we have talked about Mike Kaufman. We're talking about all the Republicans and, and how they deal with these town halls. We're not talking about the Democrats because I don't, I'm not seeing those town halls happen. So I think I think people who have been through this once are already gun shy to go back and do it again. Um, and, and and I think people who are going through it now are going to be gun shy in the future. Look, I mean, let's just look at our conversation at this table. We've been more about the reaction from the crowds at the town hall than the actual issues that were there. I mean, I think people who go to the town halls and shout down Cory Gardner ought to notice that. There were some good salient points that were brought up at these, and had they been brought up in ways where someone could express Senator, I'm disappointed in this. Could you explain this to me? As some people did, without someone in the audience yelling, you suck, or swearing at him, we might actually be talking about Cory Gardner's positions on them. Uh, But as long as you see this, I think both sides are going to shy away from this in the future, and we're going to see a lot less of these.
1: Let's get a quick take on this final topic. The Denver City Council and Mayor Michael Hancock have reached common ground this week on a proposal addressing federal immigration enforcement. If approved, the ordinance would keep city employees from inquiring about one's immigration status and bar city departments from sharing information for the purpose of ICE enforcement. The Denver Sheriff's Department will continue notifying ICE agents when they plan to release individuals wanted as detainees. Uh, Craig, your quick take on this one. It seemed like the the mayor won a hard-fought
4: compromise. Right, which will encourage more illegal immigration to Denver. And isn't Denver crowded enough? I mean, it would be nice for the government to work together, in my mind. They're of two different minds about how to enforce our immigration laws. But it's also a shame that the media doesn't follow big stories like Ricardo Lopez Vera, who killed a man in jail and then was immediately released, or ever bias who uh, there was an ICE detainer ignored and he killed a man at the light rail station or was part of that thing. Uh, I wish we had a Denver Post and a media that would follow up on those kinds of stories instead of just talk radio.
1: Mary, your quick take on this, what did you think of the city's compromise of all these different issues we've been talking about for several weeks?
0: Kudos to Michael Hancock for some leadership on this, and um, I'd like to see some numbers on whether there is or will be an influx of illegal immigration to Colorado more than we're seeing in other places. We Most of us know that immigrants, uh, whether they're documented or undocumented, go to places where they there are jobs available for them, um, where they work hard, pay their taxes. Um, I'd also like to see greater media coverage of the impact that these policies and these discussions are having on the lives of our hard-working residents who are undocumented, many of whom, for example, I've um, learned in my reporting in schools, in our our Denver schools, Aurora schools, where uh, many of the children are, uh, uh, their parents are undocumented. They no longer come to parent-teacher conferences. They no longer bring their children to extracurricular activities. Why is that? Because they are afraid. They're living in fear. The children who are trying to grow up here and get an education are also living in fear so uh, there's, there's a lot of sides of the debate, and I think that it's great that Denver and their leadership has stood on the side of human rights and respecting the people who put a lot of hard work into our community.
1: Ed, is this settled
2: or is it still a fluid situation? I think it's a little bit settled. I credit Hancock. for trying to walk a very fine line between setting the city's own policy on immigration and realizing that if you ignore federal detainers, you're essentially telling one public safety agency to tell another public safety agency they won't work with them. Um, I think it is worth feeling, though, that it is somehow setting bad precedent of elected officials locally telling the federal government that they're going to ignore its rules. And here's why that's bad precedent, because Donald Trump will not always be in office, and eventually a Democrat will take over the White House. And sometime down the line, that Democratic president may set some environmental policies that conservative cities feel are overburdening. And they may just say, we're going to go ahead and ignore those environmental policies to protect our hardworking citizens who work at energy companies. And they're going to point back to this moment and say, oh, you set the precedent. Hmm. David Rapper, for us.
3: Our precedent was set <clears throat> in uh, 1789 when the U.S. Constitution was adopted. Uh, sovereignty is divided. States and their derivative entities, like cities, have their own sovereignty. They do not have to cooperate in carrying out a federal law enforcement program. Um, Denver. Remember the times when Denver denied that it was a sanctuary city? It is now such a sanctuary city, it is giving, focusing its sanctuary on illegal alien criminals. It's the people in jail who they've arrested who are the leading benefit beneficiaries of this policy. You can be for or against it, but it is certainly uh, sanctuariness to the max and an exercise of Denver's Tenth Amendment rights.
1: Let's go to, to our favorite part of the show rather quickly. Usually Miss Calhoun starts us off. She's out of town. Ed, you're first up. You have the honors.
2: A disturbing story emerged out of Iceland this week where this, the country took credit for virtually eliminating Down syndrome by fomenting a culture in which people who are tested and found to have down syndrome babies abort them at almost 100 percent rate this is not progress this is eliminating that most vulnerable part of 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 society that we're supposed to protect
3: i have two friends who have down syndrome kids i can tell you they're happy they're with them david vladimir ilyich Lenin and benito mussolini twin sons of a different mother the founders of co-founders of the modern fascist movements we see clashing in the streets today
4: Craig? Isn't it something that we didn't mention Barcelona? I remember being here last time with Mary where she said, oh, Europe is safe. Don't worry about it. This is why some people voted for Donald Trump, because he was willing to talk about radical Islam and keep it the hell out of our country to the extent possible. Mary?
0: Uh, well, just to respond to that quickly, uh, he, Trump's response to Barcelona was obviously very contradictory because he was called the driver there a terrorist, but didn't call the driver here in the US who killed Heather Heyer a terrorist. So there's a lot of um, intellectual uh, paradox happening here. But uh, my, my disgrace of the week would be the Gazette and the Denver Post for their opinion pieces denouncing the protesters to Cory Gardner. Because um, as, the, as the media, we are part of the democracy protesters, activists, are also part of democracy. We're all in the same game. Don't get down on them. They're trying to make their voices heard, even if it's done in an angry and maybe inelegant way.
2: Time to say something nice about somebody very rather quickly. Justin Moninger is Craig Hospital's new board chairman, and he understands the acute needs of patients in the rehabilitation hospital because the quadriplegic Moninger was a patient there for 14 weeks. It is a story of
3: success and perseverance. David the Colorado Rockies in the playoff hunt uh,
4: even in August. Craig. I'll praise the Denver Post and the Gazette. My God, to say that Corey Gardner should not have been interrupted, that's it's just like at this table. We can disagree, but we don't shout over each other. Those pre- protesters were downright rude. Mary.
0: And I uh, praise another member of the media in Denver, the Denverite, fantastic website for their coverage. A lot of these issues this way this week, they, they're really good at bringing the story back to history, talking about how these uh, topics have played out, whether it's Confederate statues or other um, similar debates in Denver throughout the years. And also, I'd like to praise them for reminding us all when it's street-sweeping week here in Denver, because that's <laughs> perhaps the most, the most important public service the media can do.
1: That is all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. Be sure to check out a pretty cool documentary that we had a lot of fun with Birth of the Living Dead, which is all about the Night of the Living Dead. It's part of our pledge drive this weekend, so of course we had zombies to come in and help us answer the phones. Would you expect anything less from Channel 12? That's this Saturday night at 9pm. As always, log on to Facebook or Twitter to see our CIO segments, both past and present. And you can check out our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.